Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Amen. Hey, get your Bibles. We're in Colossians. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. So we're actually finishing up a study on Colossians. So you can turn to chapter 4. If you have your device, you can also turn, turn your, uh, you know, whatever you need to do. Colossians chapter 4. And, uh, yes, it's a good day to be alive, except that the Patriots won last week. So we know that there's still prayers to be made. The kingdom of heaven hasn't quite established itself on earth in completion. But uh, we have a chance next week for them to lose, okay? So that's what we're praying for. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you are like, and I don't care. So, uh, but uh, I, I've really enjoyed this study in Colossians. Is that just me? Do you guys, have you enjoyed Colossians? I mean, it's easy for me to say because I get to teach it, but come on. The Word of God opening up and just going line by line through it. There's something about it that's nourishing, yes? It's nourishing to us because we're receiving it not just as a book, but we get to read through the pages of Scripture to find Jesus illuminated in all of it. And as the the early church was, they were finding their way with their questions and their concerns and their disputes and their errors and you know they're stumbling along we get to stumble along with them a couple thousand years later and that's okay right so we get to be formed as we read the scriptures so i'm just been so grateful being able to read this and if um if you haven't been around since we've been in colossians i mean there's a lot going on in this particular book it's a it's a letter that paul wrote paul and timothy wrote from a prison prison cell they had heard of Colossae, and they, they had never visited. Paul had never visited that we know of, and, but he just heard great news, and so he wanted to encourage these young believers to continue with what they heard. He had heard that they were responding to the gospel. They were responding in belief, and fruit was starting to bear in this city, and so he, wanted to, he just wanted to fan the flame and say, keep going, guys, keep going. And, and so as far as like kind of the overview of where we've been in this entire book that we're about to wrap up here, it's been amazing because Paul covers quite a bit of ground. If you've if you kind of read through this start to finish, we start with this cosmic picture of Christ, of, of the one who is before all things and in all things. In verse one, 16, or chapter 1, verse 16, this majestic view of Christ and his church, all things were created through him, and in him all things hold together. Yes! Somebody! When I do this, that's your cue, okay? (laughs) In case you don't know what that means. Okay. Verse 27. To make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. (laughs) <laughs> now, I don't believe you anymore. You know what? Just stop. You're doing that because I told you. You're not. Okay. This is insincere. Then we go into chapter 2, verse 15. 
In Christ, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's good news. And so he continues as he's building up this poetic, this majestic, this, um, this outrageous, transcendent view of Christ and what has been accomplished in Christ for all of time. And he launches into that in chapter 1, and he continues in chapter 2. As we get into chapter 3, he starts to bring it down a little bit, right? And say like, okay, so this is what this means, that this is what is true in Christ, and this is what it means for those of us who put our faith in Christ, starting off in chapter 3, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the, the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earth. He's like, if, if these things are so true about God, can we just be obsessed with being with Him in those places? Yeah. Let's make that our prime objective to change the way we think, to be in these places with Him, not apart from Him. We are seated with Him, and so if we're seated with Him, we get to take off these old clothes of malice and slander and anger and all these things, and rather we get to put on these new Christ resurrection clothes, right, of compassion and love and kindness. These are the people we have become in Him. We died with Him, and we have been raised with Him. And so we are being trained into a new kind of life. We are all being trained into that. And some of us being trained slower, some of us being trained faster, depending on how willing we are to lean into this, right? To humble ourselves before the Lordship of Jesus. So all of these things have been culminating into this letter. And so you start to think of, okay, wow, how do you end a letter like this? How is it that you're going to bring the plane into land, so to speak? And that's where we're going to get into today. So we're going to open up Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Here we go. Final greetings. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see to you that you read the letter from Laodicea. Oh, and say to Archippus, see that, you're, that, see that you'll fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, 
write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. Amen. But it's kind of an amen with a question mark, right? I guarantee you, most of you have never heard a sermon on Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. What is actually happening here? Ending this huge, transcendent letter about the glories of Christ and His church and this new life in Him. And then we end with this shockingly personal ending. It's almost like you start off with these these prose, you know, like he, as a writer, he's starting off with the, this, this really poetic rendering of everything he's learned in Christ, and it's almost like we stumble into a text message thread to end the thing. Hey, say hi to this person, and oh, about this person. Hey, this guy's going to swing by. Welcome him when he comes by, right? Oh, this, this other dude is in the, the cell with me. He, he says, what's up? And we, 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 we stumble into this last part, and I, I, would, I, would, I would suppose... I would, I would assume that most of us, in reading passages like the Bible, we kind of breeze through this because it doesn't feel like the meat is here. It doesn't feel like, wow, what is, what is actually happening here? But I think that there's actually, there's more to this than we think is going on. And that's what we're going to dive in here today, what's actually going on here. And so here's, here's what we need to know about this passage. The passage gives us a window into the, how the gospel is lived out. It helps us understand that God, the work of God is carried out in the world through friendship, through groups of people who have believed what has been taught, who have, been, who have steeped their lives in the reality of Jesus and who have linked arms with each other to carry that message into the uttermost bounds of the earth. How beautiful is it that a letter like this ends with this really deeply personal telling of the friendships happening in the early church among Paul and his comrades, right? To carry out the gospel. And all of these things, these things that we cannot mistake what is happening here, the gospel is not only cosmic and glorious, it actually works itself out in names and faces, groups of people loving each other on the journey. The gospel moves at the speed of kingdom friendships. Do you guys know that? Friendship is so important to Christ that everything here, it fits. It makes sense. And so he starts going through the list. Tychicus, he was, Paul calls him the beloved brother, the faithful minister, the fellow servant. Tychicus is delivering this letter along with the Onesimus, which we know is a former slave of Philemon. He's sent with Tychicus, and you'll recognize his name from other New Testament letters. But then there's Aristarchicus, who's a fellow prisoner. And then, oh yeah, don't forget about Mark and Justice and Epaphras, who is the original messenger, and Luke and Demas. And then, oh yeah, t- talk to the brothers in Laodicea and, 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 and Nympha and her whole house church. Aren't they awesome, right? And, and by the way, don't just discard this letter. Go give it to some other groups of people and then take the letters that I wrote them and you bring them back. And there's this really beautiful exchange of the life of God as it works out through people and these unsuspecting people that stumble into this kingdom that they knew nothing about. It was just unsuspe- unsuspecting. They're all coming from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different experiences with Jesus, but they're starting to put their faith and their belief in Jesus. And even Paul would say here, 
these, these men, these women, they have brought me comfort. And it makes a lot of sense if you know the life of Paul. And this totally lines up the work of Jesus because Jesus, as he was establishing his ministry in the church, it just wasn't just about the activity of the church and what the church would be doing. What I love about Jesus as he called his disciples in, it says this in Mark 3, 13 through 15. I love this, this little picture here, this window of even Jesus' friendship mattered. In Mark 3, it says this, Jesus went on up on a mountaintop and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. It's, it's so nuanced you can almost miss it. Just, you know, when we think about Jesus and him calling his disciples and all the things that we'd be doing, we kind of, we kind of skip towards, you know, uh, the Great Commission and going into all the world and the making disciples. But where did it actually start? He prayed before the Father and he got some names. He says, I want these guys. And first of all, and he answered two things. It says, he called them that they might come be with him. And second, that he could send them out to go cast out demons. <laughs> Don't you know that like when God is calling us to his work, it's really important to his heart that his church is built through friendships that learn to love each other well, that we're called first and foremost to each other, to know each other, and then from that place to send each other out to go cast out the demons and go heal the sick and bring sight to the blind and to minister to the poor. But it starts even with Jesus. He would have to even say in, in John 15, or middle of John, he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Because servants don't know what the master is doing, but you do, right? The friendship of God. We cannot, we cannot underestimate the power of kingdom friendships in our life. And that's what we see from Paul here. So why is this so important? <laughs> After all we've read, why is this such a big deal? Um, it's important that we understand how unique and how absurd the time of history we, we, we live in is. It's unique and it's absurd. There's so many advantages and a lot of disadvantages. And we don't know that because this is all we know. But, but some of you, you might, you might have put together that statistically we live in the loneliest time in human history, which is bizarre to say that, right? Because it is the most overconnected time in human history too. We live in the loneliest time despite the fact that the population has never been higher, despite the fact that we have access. It seems as if we have access to more than we ever have, right? But it's a really weird time in Great Britain. They even had to establish a government position for the minister of loneliness because of the sickness and death that they actually traced to the epidemic of loneliness. And maybe you have felt this in your experience. I just want to be the first to say if, if it's been your experience, um, loneliness and isolation, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's most likely not your fault. There's things that contribute to that. Now, there's an author, his name is Andy Crouch. He's written, he's written some about this, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to share with you some of what he's, um, he's talked about. And this helps us kind of get some context here for why this passage should mean a lot to us in this day and age, Okay? 
There's three major revolutions that we have gone through as a human race. Um, one was what we would call a financial revolution, and it was the transfer of wealth from land to banks. Okay? There was a time in history that all wealth came from land and property and cattle. And, and, and you knew who owned a piece of land. And like for there to be an exchange of wealth, it, it involved a lot of understanding. And, a lo- and, and you, you, wealth was transferred generation by generation through even land. And there's a certain point where there's a major revolution where the land was then transferred into, into money, into currency, into funds, because it was an easier way to get around. And it actually produced a lot of... Uh, it opened up a lot of open, uh, doors for the human race to be able to purchase things and to trade at a faster rate and faster access. But that was a huge revolution. A second major revolution uh, was the transfer of work from bodies to engines, so the Industrial Revolution. So before this time, all labor primarily was done by bodies, be human bodies or animal bodies, until about 1796, with the, we can mark that, or 1769, um, with the invention of the steam engine. And then all of a sudden, a lot of work began to, to, to transfer to technology and to um, manufacturing, and, and where people were doing the work at some point, now it was machines starting to do all the work, and so it was a major, major thing. And again, it led to major, major growth, exponential possibilities of what was possible for humans, Right? So financial revolution, industrial revolution, a third major revolution was in uh, a lot of our lifetimes in the mid-20th century, the computation revolution. So that was the transfer of knowledge from wisdom to information. So as, as computers began to take their place in our life, where for all of human history, knowledge was transferred from wisdom of generations being passed down legacy from one family line to the next. In our lifetime, it's transferred, all knowledge is transferred from wisdom to information. And so all three of these, these revolutions have actually made a lot of things possible. In fact, without these revolutions, most of you would not be here today. Most all of you drove a car here today, Right? Some of you purchased coffee this morning through a credit card or a debit card, right? Um, there's things that have made these things possible. And in a lot of statistics, it would, it's led to prosperity, unbelievable prosperity on earth, um, health, long life, and some, some statistics you would even say happiness all across the earth. But Obviously, the downside of revolutions like this is it, it's, uh, Andy Crouch would say it like this, there's been an, an exchange from personhood to power. And so while these things have all been important to make people powerful and to make us powerful and prosperous, it hasn't actually led to us being humanized and known as persons with faces and names. Okay? And this is all things that we just were born into for the most part. Now, what does all that mean? Just to put some skin on this. Um, so because of this, in human history, it used to be, it wasn't possible to have a financial transaction without deeply knowing the people that you were, you were making a transaction with. You would know like who they were and their property and the history of their things. And there was a, 
That's how things were transferred. There was more of this human element to a transaction. Not so anymore. You go to the convenience store, you go to the gas station and buy something. You can do the whole thing without making eye contact, right? The entire thing. In fact, it's not even comfortable sometimes to make eye contact. It's not necessary. It's not comfortable. We don't even have to say each other's names. You just take this plastic card and you just insert it. And even nowadays, it's even less than that. You take your phone and just wave it like a magic wand and then something magical happens in the the interwebs, right? And funds, money just happens to appear wherever. And nobody cares. The the cashiers, they're great. They're going to get paid. You get the snack you need from the store or whatever. The whole thing happens with literally no humans. And, and, and it's wild because in a modern society, that is, the, that is the version of winning in a modern society. We don't need each other for these things, right? The same thing, it's like the information age. When's the last time you asked somebody, like another human being, for information on something, right? What do they know? I got Google, now, I can be in a room full of people, and if I have a question, before asking people what the answer is, I'd rather go to Google and just find out just straight off, right? I mean, maybe not all of us, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it used to be that we would have to depend on each other for wisdom and knowledge, or, I mean, for, for actual, the depth of wisdom. And, and today in an information age, we, we can eliminate humans from the confusion and just go straight to Google for those types of things, Right? And so it's a, we, we live in a perfectly impersonal world. And a lot of you guys have felt that. A lot of us have felt that. Maybe you don't, wouldn't be able to put words to it like that, but that's maybe how you felt. And these revolutions have made a lot of things possible for us. We actually live in a society that's designed to separate us. And so when we stumble into a, passions, uh, a, a passage like this in Colossians, it means a lot more than we actually think it does. And even as a church, it's possible to come in and sit and look at me and be totally anonymous. But come on, this should be illegal in the kingdom of God. It should be illegal. Because we are a people that the power of God, the power of Christ as it manifests itself, has to manifest itself in names and faces. So when Paul was writing this, it was at another point in time where some of these revolutions were taking place. It was during the Roman Empire. And there was a lot happening, changing in culture. And in a lot of, a lot of similar ways, there were some financial revolutions. They were minting coins, a common currency. You know, there were things that were happening in the Roman Empire that were also, that were also helping contributing to people not feeling like persons, taking the personhood away from people. And so the way that manifested in, in the Roman Empire, not everybody was given equal rights as citizens. And there were some people that had greater rights than others. And so there was a kind of a tiered system. And it's amazing when you start getting into this, because some families, depending on what hierarchy you were grown up into, they didn't even bother giving their kids real names because why bother? You're not going to amount to anything anyways. And so, so you know, for, for a lot of families, they would, rather than give them names, they would just name them after their birth order. So third, fourth, fifth. You're Tertius, Quartus, and Quintus. 
right? So just imagine being born, not even having a name. You're just named after a number, right? And then even more so in a slave family, if you were born in a slave family, um, you know, it's like, why even bother with real name? We'll just call you useful. You're useful around here. Onesimus, right? So some of these names that we stumble into, even in the New Testament, their names are more significant than we think. So Paul does this in a few of his letters. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Romans 16. It's another beautiful chapter. The most preached on book of the Bible, the least preached on chapter. Romans 16, because it just seems, it's like a summary that has to do with names, right? And he goes through a ton of names, and he's greeting people and sending greetings and including people. And one of the most interesting little movements in verse 21, starting in verse 21, just right at the tail end, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason, the Sosipater. I don't know what a... Oh, and, and Sosipater. Man, you've got to feel sorry if your name is Sosipater. <laughs> my kinsman. Then verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote you this letter, greet you in the Lord. <laughs> So just, just catch this, Paul, in, in this letter, Paul is dictating the letter to, you know, to the Romans, and, and he has um, a citizen there who is a scribe, and most likely this is all he'll ever do with his life. And so he's, he's, he's writing, and then can you imagine getting to a point when you're writing, and then Paul, you notice Paul stopped talking, and he turned to you, and he said, Tertius, third, number three, I want you to say something. Do you want to be in the letter? Do you want to be in there? Yeah, I'll be in there. I, Tertius, I, number three, greet you in the name of the Lord. How special is that? That those who are written off or dehumanized in a process or in a culture that would make less of them, Paul would stop in his letter that would just explode for all of time and say, hey, yeah, you. Do you want to be in the letter too? Say something. To say something. So Tertius made it. He made it. <laughs> He's a name in the early church where he wasn't given a name that meant anything in the kingdom of God. He is significant. And his name means something. And so it would continue on right here. Gaius, who's hosting me into the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. The fourth. Quartus maybe have been Tertius's brother. Third and fourth, they were in it together. <laughs> so number three and number four made it into the letter <laughs> to the Romans. And I know that might seem like such a minute detail, but can we just settle into this for a second here this morning that in the kingdom of God, nobody is anonymous in the kingdom of God. Nobody is anonymous in the kingdom of God. You matter. You matter to Jesus. You matter to the church. And God, we confess where we have dehumanized each other. Would you convict our hearts, Lord God, if we've treated each other less than how you treat us? Can we be led into a moment of confession and repentance around this one thing? That Come on, this isn't just the worship team. These are people with names. This is Piper and Shannon and Joni and Josh and Zed and John, right? 
We have greeters. We have Diane and Linda. We have a tech team. We have Graham and Neil. They're not just the tech team. We have elders. They actually have names. They're not just the elders, right? It's not just the leaders. It's Bob and Ed and Mike. We have children's workers that have names and they have faces and they're people. And it goes on and on and you do too. Yeah, and, and, and maybe coming into this room, you don't always feel that sense of recognition. You know, we're working on this, right? This is something that the Lord has to form in us. But can we be in agreement this morning that the potency of the kingdom of God as it moves out, it moves out through the seeing and the knowing of names and faces to be welcomed into a kingdom where nobody is anonymous. Can you think of a message that matters more today than that? That a God, we sing about his love, recklessly pursuing us. We're not just a number to him. Mm. And that's really what joins us together. It's really what joins us together. Something every one of us have in common. When we were born, we were all looking for one thing. Every one of us. When you were born, we were all looking for one thing. We were looking for a face. It's the first thing you were looking for. Because it's in seeing a face and eyes peering back at you, that's where we get our identity. That's how we understand who we are. We don't understand who we are until we see somebody looking back at us. There's a psychologist, Kurt Thompson, who said it like this. For every human being, our deepest drama is looking for someone who is also looking for us. The core, one of the core needs for every human being is we're in a desperate search to look for someone who is looking back for us. That's why the God revealed as Father means so much. Because we have a Father who's turned his face towards us. Where our deepest desire is who is looking for me? And it takes us back to that question in the garden. Who told you you were naked? Where are you? Where are you? It's the the voice and the pursuit of the Father. Not just looking for activity, not looking for us to get it right, but to pursue us for who we are. And so I I love this passage. It's a passage that should, that should be able to move us it should be able to have access to our hearts. Whereas we see Paul start to include his friends. And he starts asking about people and saying, hey, yeah, tell, tell this person to keep going too. Tell them they can do it. Continue in the Lord. Oh, and that whole house church over there. Oh, tell them I said hi. Tell them to keep going. Lord, may we be the type of people who don't forget each other's names and faces in a world where that's all that's happening. And so Paul ends with this exhortation right at the end as he's writing from the prison cell. He says to them, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Remember my chains. And you get this sense from Paul, the human part of Paul, not the superhero part. So don't you ever have this like picture of Paul like with a cape standing on top of a building? He's just other, 
otherworldly. He's a Marvel superhero. But you get to this thing, he says, guys, remember my chains. In other words, please don't forget me. Please don't forget. Please don't forget. Guys, please don't forget. It's too easy to forget, but Paul has been through a lot. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been beaten with rods, all kinds of beatings. He's been beaten with whatever. He's been beaten with cats. You know, just anything you can beat him with. He's been beaten. He's been lashed. He's been through the ringer, and he keeps showing up. But one thing he's asking of his friends, guys, can you please don't forget? Please don't forget me. I need you. I need you to not forget me. It wouldn't seem like Paul's the type of person to be forgotten. But even in him, there's this heart cry, please don't forget me. And I think for a lot of us, it's a heart cry. God, let me not be forgotten in the process. Let us not forget each other. And I think it's a great place to land this morning. As we think about the kingdom family, what God is doing and not all of us have the same kinds of relationships or the same dynamics in this room. Some of you might not know anybody. And there's always, today's always a great place to start, right? But it starts here understanding that the power of God is not just in good sermons and worship services and killer songs. It's in the person sitting next to you. Because there's a spurring and an encouraging on, there's a challenging, there's a convicting, there's a, a linking of arms that happens and and no, we're not all good at this, but Holy Spirit, would you make us the type of church that can carry your eyes into the world and let it start here in this room with us. Amen? So, Jonah, you can come on up. Here's what we'll do. Um, since we have a little time, which is great, let's just sit before the Lord for a moment. And first of all, can we allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind those in our lives who have helped shape and form who we are in the faith? Maybe it's if, if, you, if you were led to the Lord, like if your belief in God came through the work of a person who encouraged you or invited you in or showed you something you hadn't seen before, can you just stop and think about them by name and just begin to thank the Lord for them? And then let that Maybe trickle on to others who are meaningful in your walk with the Lord. The people who have shaped you, the people who have pressed into you. And let's begin to let the Holy Spirit begin to show us through names and faces who, who these people are so that we can, in a place of gratitude, thanksgiving, not forget those who have labored on our behalf. Let's just take a few minutes and do that and then we'll Go to something else.
God. Thank you for the people that you've placed around us. The people who have been instrumental in the shaping of us. We bless them in the name of Jesus. in that spirit of being known I know this is sometimes tricky to do in a room full of a couple hundred people maybe you're a guest here today and you're not really interested in (laughs) sharing your whole life story with somebody you know but I do believe that it would be wrong to move past this without opening up a moment to greet each other in the Lord when we come across these passages in scripture, there's these really beautiful moments of the believers greeting each other in the Lord. And because we have a little bit of time here, I think the most spiritual, responsive, faithful thing we can do to the gospel this morning is to be able to have a chance to to look each other in the eyes and say, hi, I'm Luke. What's your name? Tell me your story. Tell me a little bit about you. Maybe that's somebody here you haven't met before. Maybe that's somebody that you haven't talked to in a long time, or maybe you have talked to, but you didn't look at each other in the eyes and take a moment. And I just sense the pleasure of God. If we could just end our time here this morning, and rather than just bolting out the doors, like, let's linger for a moment. Let's say hi. Let's wait for it. Let the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God, inhabit our interactions, trusting that as we see each other, that He is seeing us, that we are being shaped into His likeness, into His image. Let us practice what it looks like to be known so that we can go out to the world for others to be known by God. Amen? Can we stand together today? And as we end this time, we are going to have our ministry team come forward here in a bit. And if you did sign up for the, um, for the, the healing rooms or uh, prophetic rooms, I believe down here on the side, you can come up for your, your time slot. And if you have you know, different physical conditions, these are great people to come talk to. In fact, if you just want to connect with somebody, connect with one of these people up front. You know, they'll pray for your healing and you guys can have a really special moment together. And listen, you don't have to make it awkward, right? You don't have to do that. Just a human connection. Look each other in the eyes and then introduce yourself. And listen,